2: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co hosts First up, he's so glad that Jumpstart came back on to Magic Arena. It's Matt Morgan.
1: Joey, I'm never going to give up on my dreams, which is why I'm going to go back to bed right after this.
2: Oh, that sounds like a really good idea. A nap does sound really good. Recordings can be really exhausting. That's a great idea, Matt. I might follow suit. Yeah, well, it's just a good idea. Nap should be, uh should be mandatory, I say. I agree. Up next, he doesn't
0: understand why Jumpstart ever left
2: Magic Arena.
0: That's Dana Roach. Um, As of this show, we have half the year left, and I'm going to make this promise to the two of you and to all of our viewers and listeners that before the year is through, I am going to figure out just how many different versions of each card there are in Modern Horizons 2. Oh, no.
2: <laughs> um
0: dana i think
2: after that arduous process you might need a nap I, i've got anyway, six months
0: i can figure it out plenty of sleep time in there <laughs> i'll be it'll be fine sounds good
2: anyway this is the edh Retcast. edh rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks and here on the podcast what we like to do is give all that data a little more context hey matt What is it that we're discussing in this week's episode?
1: Well, this week we decided since there's a whole, uh, you might say toxic deluge of mana rocks out there in the format, we're going to break them down. Talk about uh, some of the best mana rocks, all those converted mana costs and each step along the way.
2: Uh, Yeah, a, a deluge, a toxic deluge. I love what you did there. That's really great. I guess you could say that this episode is the one where we will, we will mana rock you. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I think you might need some overwhelming intellect in order to recite all of the uh, all the manorocks rocks out there in the format. Uh,
2: so so you're, you're not there for that one. What what if this episode is the one where we have on our guest uh, Dwayne Manorock rock Johnson? <laughs> oh, that Joey. one's better. That, that was better. That was better? All right, sweet. Anyway, yeah, real quick before we get to talking about all of those cool mana rocks in EDH, let's pause real fast and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone. They handle all of the post-production work on our
0: podcast, making it look as spiffy as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. The EDH Recast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. If you want to pick up any of the uh, cool new acid-washed feature-site bordered cards with alpha corners, <laughs> you can just go to Card Kingdom or TCG Player and they will have them in stock. Go to EDH Rec and click on the card in question and go to the link down below and doing that supports both the site and the show.
1: Or if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edh We have patron tiers of all levels. We have patron exclusive content coming out each month and patron exclusive altar sleeves available to you as well. Um, so make sure you head over to patreon.com slash edh And actually we're going to have a very special shout out this week because we do appreciate our patrons. So Callum Bearman, I don't know if it's how you pronounce your last name, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So, um, Mr. Bearman, thank you so much for your patronage. We definitely appreciate it.
2: Awesome name. Thank you so much for the support, Callum. All right, fellas, let's get to our main topic. We are talking about Mana Rock of Ages. Eh? No? I think I need to be done. I think that Matt is giving me a stern look right now, so we're just going to move on. There are a lot of different Mana Rocks in EDH. And as a result, that means that some of them are like kind of stapley that we would expect, and some of them also maybe are relegated to more niche homes. And also, we just have our preferred, uh, favorite mana rocks as well that we just really like to see, and that there are different use cases for them. So we're going to go through them, probably starting by their mana cost, because you know there are only a few at the zero and one mana, and then there's a couple more at the two, and then there are a lot of three mana rocks out there. And we kind of want to evaluate which ones are the best. So yeah, that should be a whole bunch of fun, but. I think even before we get to that, there's probably one other thing that we have to do here real quick, isn't there, Dana?
0: There is. And I think the first thing we're going to quick talk about here is there's a suite of very expensive um, money-wise and very cheap casting cost-wise mana rocks, things like mana crypt and chrome Mox and grim monolith that we're probably not going to go into too much detail about because... The average player can't afford them, for one, and number two, they tend to reside at a power level a little bit beyond what we generally talk about on this show.
1: Yeah, they're kind of good signpost cards for for decks that maybe the typical player isn't really using a lot of EDH stats and, and using it for their deck building. It's kind of a good card to kind of tell if a deck list is uh, fairly tuned up or not, and, and cre- like you said, Dana, creeps up in those higher power levels. Um, Mana Vault and Mana Crypt, both are kind of those premier cards for mana ramp and so obviously that comes with a premium on the on the dollar price uh, so we're going to kind of skip over those cuz like yes they are incredibly powerful but it's also not really helpful to talk about how powerful they are too much because it's kind of a known commodity at this point
2: yeah the, I, your deck is not inherently you know suddenly way more optimized just because there's a mana crypt in it but at the same time you don't find many mana crypts in the average deck either so we're going to move past those and move more into there's, there's a lot more meat to tackle when it comes to the mana rocks let's start with one and two mana so up first probably another one that we might breeze by really quickly is you know soul ring which is basically a mainstay i don't like we can make an argument that there are a handful of commanders out there like maybe Nikia of the old ways who doesn't want to play soul ring
0: because she can't cast non-creature spells but like it's soul ring we all play the soul ring it's kind of the like the iconic um mascot card of the format really it's in every precon deck it's it's the card that i think of when i think commander it's 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 a, a rare gem elsewhere and it's commonplace in our format it's just such a weird unique thing that i i don't know what else to say about it it is the definition of ubiquitous in commander
1: yeah when, when we talk about putting putting cards in the 99 quote um usually it's in the 98 because soul ring <laughs> right. is just in there it's just assumed
2: Right. So then moving away from Sol Ring, there is another one mana rock that's probably important to mention here, and that's the card Wayfarer's Bobble, which is a really neat one. It doesn't actually produce mana on its own, but you can put it down on turn one, pay two mana, and crack it to go and find a basic land and put it into play. And this is a pretty nice source of ramp, especially when you're not playing in green, which is especially when you're not in green, when all of those mana rocks get a lot, you know, better in general to find better sources of ramp and getting you
0: lands instead of just having a a rock that needs to stick around can be really really useful i'm a big fan of this actually in mono color decks of all things too because the couple mono decks i have i tend to lean into those mana doublers the the you know vernal bloom in green for example but in the extra planar lens or the gauntlet of mites or the cage suns and the more lands i can get out particularly if i'm not in green the better off I am and the more easily I can utilize those. So um, it's a really good card, but I I think it tends to shine at least the way I build monocolor decks in mono decks. Yeah, Dana, I'm the same way. I
2: love this card in mono black, for example, because this gets me more swamps for my Cabal Coffers to do amazing things for me. So this is in ways more effective than potentially just a regular old mana rock can be. So that's a really great one. After that, though, we are going to move now to the two mana rocks. And right off the bat, I feel like we also got a pop here and talk about the crazy big popular elephant in the room that is known as arcane signet which has to be right at the top of this list this thing shows up in over two hundred and twenty-eight thousand decks that is so insane
1: and it hasn't even been around for like two full years quite yet even that's like the part that boggles my mind but you you know a card may be a little pushed when even gavin verhey is on twitter and kind of like Whoops. Sorry, guys. Didn't mean to (laughs) go that far, Um, but yeah, it'd be just two mana to really do anything you want. Um, It's just such a powerful card. Um, Let's just get it out of the way
0: now. It's, it's powerful, but it's also one of those cards that I don't feel like you feel bad about playing. Like, uh, you know, when I put a mana crypt in the deck, I'm, I'm, I'm worried that there, it's going to cause a power imbalance. Um, both in terms of me outspending someone and in terms of like how fast and explosive it is. Arcane Signet, as good as it is, doesn't cause that worry because it's a card that everyone kind of has access to and the ability to run as well. So it's strong, but it's also kind of in the soaring category where I feel like, You're just going to be on equal playing footing with everyone you play against when you run it.
2: Now, importantly, and Matt has brought this up on a past challenge the stats. Arcane Signet only creates mana that is a color of your commander's color identity, so don't play this one in your colorless decks because it won't tap for anything, so watch out for those there. Moving from that Signet to the actual Signets, the original Signets, there are, of course, those that are really happy to find their homes in the format. The most popular one is Is It Signet, which shows up in like 39% of the decks that can play it, and the least popular Signets are definitely the ones that contain green because green already has other sources of rampant two mana, so it doesn't need as many of these. The Signets are crazy, crazy popular, and the same is definitely 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 true for the talismans as well.
0: I mean, yeah, I think if you're not playing green, um, you you run them in – two and three color decks just full stop. At least I do without even really thinking about it. Uh, the Talismans and the Signets. If you're playing green, then I guess that can be up for debate because you have so many other land ramp options. But outside of that, I think they're just, for me, it's kind of a mindless choice. I'm playing two or three colors. I'm going to put the, every one that I can legally run into the deck.
1: Yeah, it's it's a good start for just a mana base in general. You want to have a little bit of ramp. And um, it, it stinks that like these are kind of so ubiquitous because, you know, like when you have green, you have mana and ramp spells. Um, But also like these colors, they need to be able to keep up in the arms race. So that's why um, the Signets and the the Talismans specifically are so popular because they just help you keep pace with decks no matter what colors you might be playing, even if it's not really green.
2: Yeah. What is kind of funny, though, and this is the most interesting part about Signets and Talismans to me, is that Dana, as you said, if you are playing a three color deck here, well, three of your mana rock slots can be three of your deck slots really are then taken up by the corresponding Signets. And then three more can be taken up by the Talismans and then one more for the arcane signet and then one more for the soul ring and already you've taken up eight slots in your deck just by having played a three color deck like it gets a bit tough to find other things that you can put in there when those are kind of already taking up a whole bunch of slots for your deck if that's the way that you're building so that is kind of an interesting thing about these is just their ubiquity can also kind of absorb so many slots in the deck that it becomes tough to personalize the mana base a bit more
0: uh yeah for sure although i would say i don't know how much character a mana base generally adds to a deck i mean yes there are people who intentionally run oddball mana rocks just to you know stay on theme but like there's a lot of ways to customize the way your deck looks and feels and plays and i i feel like you don't do it with mana rocks all that often they're more kind of a quality of life thing in your deck than they are a way to give it character usually
2: Hmm. See, I would argue that the point of this episode is to find the mana rocks that can give our decks character, which is a lot of the other ones that we're seeing here now. <laughs> right. So let's get into those. Those were like the classics. We're all familiar with those. Matt, let's move now to some of the other two mana rocks. What are some that strike your fancy whenever you're deck building outside of the common Signets and Talismans and such?
1: Well, I mean, the big one that's kind of it, it stinks that it's kind of been power crept out of the format almost. But also it's like in three and four color decks, it's also still super po- uh, powerful uh, Fell. It's probably one that I I think a lot of people still kind of play some people out of habit, but also it's like, like I said, it's still just a very, very good card. Stone shows up in over 86,000 decks, and that's one that just, um, it's two mana. You can tap it for a mana of any color, um, basically that if your opponents could produce that from their lands. Um, So if you're playing a four color deck, chances are you're going to be able to hit at least two colors, if not three or four. Um, It's just really good. It scales really well to multiplayer, but also you know, if you're only playing two colors, maybe it's not really the best mana rock to be playing.
0: Well, that, that's what's interesting about it is most of the two color mana rocks, excuse me, two two mana um, mana rocks make colorless mana. Um, Felwar Stone is one of the few, aside from the Signets, Talismans, etc., that actually makes colored mana. So the the more colors in your deck, the better it kind of gets. Whereas the ones that just make colorless tend to kind of get worse the more colors you have in your deck. Um, so it's kind of an interesting trend that, that you see with Fowl Warstone that you really don't see with most of the rest of these. Yeah, Dana, two of the mana
2: rocks that I really, really do love a lot, especially in two-colored decks, actually are ones that produce colorless mana, mindstone and Thought Vessel. Mindstone that just taps for colorless mana, but you can crack it to draw a card later on if you need in a pinch. is really, really fun to be able to just... Be able to cash that in, in case I've run out of cards in hand, it feels great. Or speaking of cards in hand, Thought Vessel letting me hold onto all of the ones in hand. Like, Thought Vessel is an effect, just giving me no hand size, I can just have all the cards. That's honestly a card that I've put into four-color decks, because that's just how much I want to be able to hold onto all of those pretty cards in my hand, please.
0: It's one of those effects, in, in this conversation happens with Reliquary Tower as well, that realistically i don't know how much impact it has on how strong your deck is or how well it performs however i also really like thought vessel for that reason and i really like reliquary tower and even though i I will argue they probably don't make that much impact on how effective your deck is it just feels really really nice (laughs) knowing that you can hold as many cards as you want to hold it's very much a safety blanket and i just like having that there in my deck Now, here's another one that
2: I can't quite make up my mind about. It also produces colorless mana, but the appeal here is a bit strange. This allows you to have a flexible amount of mana output, I guess is the way to say it. Everflowing Chalice. So that is a zero mana rock, but you can multi-kick it for two mana to give it additional counters, and then it can tap for colorless mana equal to the number of counters on it. I don't know that I've ever actually wound up using this one in my deck. Not nearly as much as like the other Gullerless Rocks that I prefer so much because their utility is just so imparent, like uh, allowing me to draw a card later or to hold on to all of the cards in my hand. Whereas Everflowing Chalice, I feel like I'd probably really want to be committed to a proliferate style deck to make as much use of this as I could.
0: So I quite like everflowing Chalice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to defend it here briefly. Um, yes, the proliferate synergies are fantastic. You can really you know spend two mana on it and, and two turns later it's tapping for four or five or something. Um, that can absolutely happen. Um, it's nice when you get to that point in the game where you know, it's maybe turn six or seven or something and things are happening and maybe you haven't drawn many cards so you don't have Have a way to burn all your mana on the turn like well you you cast it for four or six or something and at least you've done something productive you've made a mana rocket and a tap for three when you actually do get a few more cards in hand so it does scale a little bit which is kind of nice um I actually just cast it the other night in a game for zero just so I could hit it with Oblation and draw two cards because I didn't want to hit something that was already in play and I didn't need the mana rock, but I wanted to draw. So I just set it down with no counters on it and then shuffle it into my library to draw two cards. Um, if you're playing an artifact deck that cares what artifact count and you just want to get one more rock on the board for something like that, you can do that too. I, I think it has some some... Utility that most mana rocks don't have that makes me like it, and I've got multiple different decks where I find it to be quite useful.
1: See, I, I'm in the 94% of players who don't play Thought Vessel. I just, I, I never find myself wanting to spend that much mana to add a bunch of colorless mana, especially if I'm in, if I'm in a, a two plus color deck. I just, like there are so many other mana rocks that are going to be cheaper to have more upside in my mind, at least. Like even in my Alila deck, which is all about casting a lot of artifacts and enchantments. Even if I'm casting that for a zero just to get a fairy, I don't really think that's worth the the, the card just to get a one-one. I think cards like Mind Stone just so I can cantrip and, and draw it out, or going up even into more a uh, higher CMC to get like Command Sphere or anything like that. Like those are the cards I would steer towards instead of Everflowing Chalice.
2: When you said. Okay, so Everflowing Chalice is the one you don't like. I think you had said Thought Vessel at one point, but just to clarify, Everflowing Chalice, not really your...
1: Right, yes, Everflowing Chalice. Thought Vessel, I love. I've cast many a Thought Vessel. Um, everflowing Chalice, I, I I, struggle to ever even consider it in any decks.
2: Interesting. And, and so this is also, I think, the point where some of the tapped mana rocks also start entering the conversation. And by this point, I also think that if we're talking about three-color decks or four-color decks, the mana rocks that produce multiple types of colored mana kind of have already swept the, all of the card slots that are available for a four or a five or even a three-color deck, but once it comes down to a one, uh, mono-color deck or a two-color deck, that is where some of these, you know, getting colorless mana isn't as big of a burden, but still sometimes you do want other mana rocks that can provide you with color mana as well. The thing is, a lot of them come into play tapped, so now let's talk about some of those that come into play tapped, like Cold Steel Heart, which is a snow artifact and it enters the battlefield you choose a color and it can provide you with that color so this is you know you get the color that you need especially in like a two color deck you're probably good star compass is another pseudo one might be more suitable towards a mono color deck but it also comes into play tapped and it can provide you with colored mana and then there are of course the diamond cycles as well I'm not sure if I like the tapped tempo on this Cold Steel Heart. I think I appreciate for being able to color fix, but I might find myself reaching more for the colorless mana rocks that come into play untapped before I hit these, and I'm not even sure if I can confidently say why that is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't like any of those and don't run them. Any any of the three you mentioned, the Diamond Cycle, so all five of those, the Cold Steel Heart and the Star Compass, I don't run any of those in decks for the reason you mentioned. They they come into play tapped, um, and yes, they will make you a colored mana, but the only time you really need this many mana rocks is like in a two-color deck where you only have access to one Signet and one Talisman. In a three-color deck where, like you mentioned, Joe, you have access to all three and all of a sudden you're at eight mana rocks even before you add in a Mind Stone or an Everfling Chalice or a Thought Vessel. Like there's the, the, the decks where the colored mana is most useful are the decks that don't necessarily need the colored mana which is two colors because they have enough other options and they can run the colorless options and the decks that do need colored mana three or more color decks have access to way more mana rocks and don't also need these. So I, I feel like by and large unless you're really running on a budget because they are all cheap there just really isn't a place in any of my decks for any of them
1: well cold steel heart when snow synergies got pushed in call time uh cold steel heart did not stay cheap but Um, I like Star Compass, Cold Seal Heart, kind of this this brand of two CMC rocks. Um, I like them kind of the same way that Joey likes evolving wilds in three color decks. Um, Yes, like you pointed out, Dana, uh, the options are kind of limited, but you can have some mana hungry as far as like having very specific color requirements in two mana or in two colors, I should say. Um, So having Star Compass and Cold Seal Heart to be able to like flex a little bit. And get the right colors, that's fairly valuable and I think a little underrated. And unless you are Dana, Star Compass is always going to tap for two mana because you have to have basics (laughs) in play. Dana doesn't play basics, I'm pretty sure. Um, You mean two colors of mana, not two mana. It's still two two colors of mana, yes. Yes, you're getting both of your colors, excuse me. Um, But yeah, like I I think they're fine if if you're in two colors or one color even. um, Star Compass, Cold Steel, Heart, they're fine just to get up to, you know, four or five you know, uh, ramp type of spells, especially if you're not in green, like if you're playing mono red, mono white, like these are gonna be really good options for you just to make sure that you're able to keep developing your board state in those early turns.
2: And I think that is ultimately the important part of this is that as we mentioned earlier, with the amount of talismans and stuff that a three color or a four color deck or a five color deck can access, there are more options for cheap ramp, efficient ramp early in the game for those higher color decks. So a two or a colorless uh, excuse me, a two color or a monocolor deck does need to reach out a little bit more to get that same level of density, which is pretty interesting. There is, of course, for the monocolor decks, another bonus thing that they have that the other big multicolor decks don't have, and those are the medallions. Stuff like Ruby Medallion or Pearl Medallion, which are the most popular and the least popular, respectively, medallions out there. These are pretty interesting because they just generically reduce the cost of your corresponding color spells by one mana and those can be really nice but pretty much exclusively for monocolor decks matt do you have any affinity for those or not as big on them
1: um they're fine in the right deck um i don't really play a whole lot of them but like I, if i see them i'm never going to fault anybody for for you know putting them in the deck
0: yeah I, i'm a big fan of them on monocolored decks especially i would also say Look at your deck's colors. It's easy to assume that if you're playing a two color deck, you're, n- they're not going to be as good because you're, you know, running half and half. I would say most decks actually aren't and decks tend to lean one way or the other. Um, I think we've done a show about that in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, look at your deck. I would say you might wind up finding that the medallions are really good in your two color deck if you are leaning really heavily in one direction.
2: Yeah, we did a most lopsided color commanders uh, episode in the past that you're referencing. And we did also kind of, you know, go into there are some red decks that have so many artifacts that the Ruby Medallion doesn't provide a huge benefit. And Dana, you have a deck that has so many blue cards and so few white cards that it turns out Sapphire Medallion is actually really, really good in that deck because it bolsters a whole bunch of the deck because so few of the deck is, is made of white cards. So, yeah, these can be very interesting. Largely, though, they are relegated to monocolor. So in that case, if we're done-ish talking about two-mana rocks, there are still plenty of other ones out there. That would mean that it's time for us to move on to the three-mana rocks, which is where some customization really gets into play. That's going to be a really big segment of the podcast, though. So how about before we get there, we pause and challenge some stats? It's one of our favorite segments here on the podcast. But, you know, there's just so much data on EDHREC that we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much play or too little play. So we like to challenge those statistics. Whether you're a hardcore enthusiast or just a person who goes up, that's a good looking car, (laughs) check out The Big Three, available wherever you get your podcasts, or you can watch the full videos at Donut Podcasts on YouTube.
1: Well, and Joey, don't forget... um the official sponsor of Challenge of Stats is Altersleeves.com. So head over to Altersleeves.com slash EDH RetCast. Um, use our affiliate link. We would definitely appreciate the support. Um, we have those patron exclusive Alter Sleeves that you can pick up, but we also have non exclusive to our patron Alter Sleeves available, as well as their entire library of awesome arts so you can customize all your cards with. So make sure you head over to Altersleeves.com slash EDH RetCast to show your support. But Since we are at challenging the stats, I do actually have a challenge. And um, have you guys read Sedgemore Witch? That card is like, (laughs) what even is magic anymore? Um, So Sedgemore Witch is a creature, a human warlock for two and a black uh, for a 3-2 with menace. And it has ward, which means if your opponents want to target it with a spell, they have to pay three life. In order to have that spell resolve. Um, But don't stop there. Uh, Sedgemore Witch also has a Magecraft ability. So whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, you create a 1 1 black and green pest creature token. With when this creature dies, you gain one life. Uh, So currently, Sedgemore Witch is the 34th most popular card in all of Strixhaven, which just seems silly to me. Like this card is, like, it's like you cast a you Read the Bones, you create a 1-1, one, one. you cast your Sign in Blood, you create a 1-1. One, one. Like, I don't know how this isn't in every single one of Dana's black decks. Like, this just does so many, like, you create an army just by playing the game. Um, Felice, Reverent Medium, probably loves this card because you're casting it some Sorceries to create more tokens, which creates tokens with Sedgemore, which which then creates more tokens with Felice's ability. Like, I, there are just so many, like, Great synergies just for going around and just playing the game. Um, if you're playing Demir, which probably plays a lot of Instance and sorceries on average, um, I just like this card is only in 2,300 decks so far. Um, like I said, 34th most popular in all of Strixhaven. So it's behind some like Lorehold and Prismari Campus are both played more than this card.
2: <laughs> oh, that's just salt in the I just struggle
1: to right. believe those are real stats. Um, the, the, The data is skewed somehow, but like this card is just silly. Like it's not even showing up on Felice's page at all. And like Ayara, first of Lockthuane, yeah, sure. Let's make literally every single spell that we cast cantrip out. Like that just seems great because you can sacrifice the token you make to draw a card. You trigger Ayara's ability to gain one life and each opponent loses a life. Like there's just a lot of just really cool synergies that you just have to have this on the battlefield. It's hard to get rid of. And you just make an army just by playing the game. Um, 2,300 decks. Come on, folks. This card, this this is better than Prismari Campus. I promise you.
2: that's that's a pretty good one and i think it's pretty telling that young pyromancer which has a similar effect shows up in nearly fifteen thousand decks
1: that's just so this is so so wild to me like this card is this card is like i don't even like playing black but i love this card um it is a little expensive it's, it's like eight dollars right now um if you go over to card kingdoms so like i think it's getting a, a decent amount of of love in 60 card formats but even then like i can think of of worse eight dollar investments for your commander decks
2: sweet deal i'm gonna move to mine now since we we were talking about Magecraft and you know casting a bunch of spells. The um I'm gonna bring us back to the to the red stuff though, because I want to talk about that new commander ryanya Fire Dancer, the five mana three-four who says that beginning of combat on your turn, you create X tokens that are copies of another creature you control, where X is one plus the number of instants and sorcery spells that you've cast uh this turn. Those tokens gain haste and then they go away at the end step. But that's fine because when you get multiple copies of something like a terror of the peaks, the game just ends. Like it's just over. Like it's really good. This is an explosive commander. And it's all the more explosive when you're able to pull off a bunch of really awesome spells all in one turn. So when tinkering around with Rhianna, a uh- card that I found that's only showing up in 16% of her decks so far is Lava Dart which is just a one mana deal one damage to something but it can flash back from your graveyard sacrifice a mountain and you can recast it it's just two spells on one card which means it's two copies of an Angrath's Marauders like it's really really darn good only in just a very small percentage of the Royania decks but two spells for a single mana is really really powerful and it means that you're going to have one of the most explosive turns this commander is all about building up towards one specific thing if you lose the mountain that's fine you got another Copy of Scourge of Alcast. The game is ending. Would you get another copy of Scourge of Alcast? This thing is really, really awesome.
0: Definitely check it out. And speaking of out, Dana, round us out. So, um, my challenge set is brought to us by Patron supporter Tristan Dementia Master. Um, Tristan has suggested Grim Feast. I think that's a very good call. This is an old card from from Back in Mirage. So, um, Tristan is is making suggestions true to my heart here. Um, At the beginning of your upkeep, Grimfeet deals one damage to you, but whenever a creature is put into an opponent's graveyard from the battlefield, you gain life equal to its toughness. And that's for for three mana, so it's Golgari in one. It's only in 356 decks, I would say, probably largely because it's so old. If you don't know it exists, you're just not going to see it lying around at your local gaming store or anything. But there's some commanders that have really excellent synergy with this. Um, Dina Soul Steeper that we got in Strixhaven. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. Um, that's going to proc. You know, oftentimes you're you're relying on the life link to get that kind of life gain to deal damage to people whenever anything dies even if you destroy it if someone sacrifices it doesn't matter you're going to get those triggers you have commanders like savra queen of the golgari where you need to pay two life to get a trigger the the thing you're going to kill with savra is then going to gain you the life back that you just lost paying it to destroy it in the first place. Um, there's just a lot of really good effects in Golgari that care about you gaining life accidentally for killing other people's creatures, and this definitely should show up in more than 356 decks. That is a really great uh, great card to... I- <laughs>
2: Man, I've been tithering- and the art is horrifying as well if that's something you care about. Yes, it's one that I've gone back and forth. I'm like, mm, do I try this out in Marin? It could gain me a pretty substantial amount of life. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. But especially with all of the new, uh, I keep saying Golgari, but I guess it's Wither Bloom, uh, life gain strategies that I've entered. Like, this is primed for a great spot in a whole bunch of decks. So that's a really great one. Thank you so much, Tristan. All right, fellas, we're going to get back to our main topic now that we are done challenging some stats and talk about even more stats by looking at the three mana mana rocks that are out there. And this is, I think, especially where we start to feel a bit more of the customization that can happen in our decks, because there are some really spicy three mana mana rocks that are, like, coming into existence now. And Dana, I think you even specifically noted that, like, Gavin Verhey has mentioned that this is a thing that they are committing a lot of energy to in R&D to find less that they can do on the two mana, but spicing up a lot of the three mana mana rock output that they're creating in cards and sets now.
0: Yeah, especially in the last couple of years, we've had some really, really amazing three-mana rocks come in, whether it's things like Cursed Mirror that, that let you just make a creature for a turn with your mana rock, or something like... Uh, midnight clock that you know just self wheels you to refill your hand if you need to there's some really strong ones we've got in the last few years and i think this is yet another kind of nail in the coffin for a couple of those two mana rocks that i didn't like things like cold steel heart or star compass um I wouldn't want to fill my deck entirely with three mana rocks, but like when I have six or seven or eight really good two mana rocks, I don't feel feel so bad about replacing a mediocre one like Star Compass with something like Midnight Clock that is potentially the kind of card that can win a game versus Star Compass that's just going to be the worst Two mana rock you have in your deck, um, I would. I'm more than willing to pay a little bit more mana or pay one more mana, I guess, in this case, for something that can actually be game changing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned game changing. Like, this is where the conversation can get super dense because there are so many options, but also there's there's a lot of power in the three mana slot, um, and you can even get like specific to certain strategies. Like, if you're playing, you know, a Joey Necromancer special uh, Phyrexian Altar is three mana to cast and then you just make a lot of mana and it enables, like, it's going to generate you more than just one or two mana a turn. Um, Likewise, if you like turning creatures sideways like I do, um, Heraldric Banner is three mana for a mana rock, but it makes your creatures go sideways even harder by giving all your creatures of of a chosen color plus one plus oh. So, like, there are all sorts of different options that diverge. Like, you're not just making mana anymore in this three mana slot. Like, you have tons of upside.
0: Well, I've been talking about like being game-changing. If you're playing in a, a deck, you mentioned your Alela deck that's a token deck, but you know Talrand would qualify for this, Kaikar would qualify for this. Dropping a Heraldic Banner when you have like six or eight tokens out is oftentimes a difference between killing somebody and not killing somebody like that. That's a mana rock that is just accidentally going to end the game for people sometimes.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Valduk makes how many tokens per turn? So, yeah, I absolutely agree. Like if you have any sort of go wide strategy with a shared color amongst all your things, like I'm sure, Joey, your least deck probably is just going to play this casually um, but yeah like heraldric banner like i slept on this for a long time and I'm one of its biggest fans now.
2: Yeah, Heraldic Banner, that one is absolutely, oh, it's it's delightful because it's just a little extra anthem for all my flying spirits in that the least deck. It's it's definitely, yeah, there's so much power that you can put into in just in this three mana slot. And I think that that's kind of interesting because normally I kind of expect that when we think of three mana rocks, we probably just all default in our minds to just going right to the classics. Commander Sphere, which shows up in over 100,000 decks, for example. And just like the Mind Stone earlier, you can crack the Commander Sphere to draw a card in the late game in case you run out of cards in hand which is really really nice but like it is also kind of expected at this point we all kind of feel like we've gotten the measure of it so that's fine and then there's also the classics like chromatic lantern which is great especially if you're in a three color deck because chromatic lantern just fixes all of your colors for you all of your lands can tap for whatever you need and that one shows up in seventy four thousand decks and that one's really really awesome especially if you're in like a five color deck but already like if those are just the the three mana rocks that we're defaulting to there's so much more extra stuff that you can go to and even then when we're talking about chromatic lantern like that's not one that i'm going to put into a monocolor deck that is one that gets better when there are more colors in my deck compared to something like the heraldic banner where i'm probably sticking to a specific token strategy like already there's that customization that can just unlock amazing potential for your deck strategy
1: do you guys remember when like manalith was a playable card but now you have so many better options like I mean, even mana geode is a better option at this point than mana Lith. but like not even like, I I just want to reinforce again, like it's, we're talking about mana rocks in this episode, but like when you have a three mana mana rock, you, you have so many options to do more than just making mana. Like you're making a very significant impact on the game.
0: Well, and I will throw this one caveat out there about chromatic lantern, which is, I think still a very good card in the right deck. Um, that's one card that I think has gotten a little bit weaker over the years. Um, and I've heard the argument being made it's gotten weaker because the game's gotten faster. I don't think that's necessarily the case. The problem, such as it is a chromatic lantern, is everything in terms of mana fixing has gotten better. We have access to Arcane Signet now, which makes every color you want. We've gotten the other half of the, of the talisman cycle. So in a three color deck, you've gotten to add, in some cases, two new talismans you didn't have before. Um, there's been a whole bunch of a really good new dual lands added or cycles finished there as well. So. Chromatic Lantern is a card that I was, I would have assumed I would put in every three color deck, you know, four or five years ago. And today, when I look at my land base and my mana base in a deck in three colors, it's way easier to consistently hit my colors than it was four years ago or five years ago when I felt like I was gonna be an auto include in anything three colors.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't yeah, like you kind of said, Dana, I don't think Chromatic Lantern is any less powerful. I think the rest of the format has kind of caught up to what Chromatic Lantern used to be when it first came out and returned to Ravnica.
2: That that makes a I, I totally jive with that. And honestly, like full disclosure, I am actually running Chromatic Lantern in a two color deck, by Feather the Redeemed deck, because that deck is full of one mana cantrip, like small cards. So being able to flip back and forth between all right, I need to play a red one or or need to play a white one like that matters quite a lot because the mana is very 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 particular in that deck so i have to be really really careful about it but even then
0: yeah see you you, you i mentioned how it's gotten weaker in some regards joey i'm gonna say in boat i have a, an azorius deck that's so heavy on blue mana symbols that are on chromatic lantern just because so many of the sphinxes are like three men, three blue men at a cast and then i want counterspell mana as well that having the option to have every single land be a tundra is super useful yeah
2: yeah and so there, there are though a few that I am kind of like. Have we moved past this? And not, not quite the manolith level, but like darksteel ingot, the indestructible one that can tap for any color. Like, I don't know. This one still shows up in thirty thousand decks, so maybe it's just like missing me personally. But even in a budget strategy, I feel like this is one of the mana rocks that I'm going to try and avoid because of the power that is offered by some of the other three mana rocks that we've got instead. The indestructible, I just feel like, is kind of like eh compared to some of the other benefits I could be running in this card slot.
1: Well, I mean, even. In the same breath as, as Darksteel Ingot, Coalition Relic was kind of priced out of a lot of people's decks for a long time. Um, it's gotten reprinted into the ground in the past couple of years, but I, I also think that also probably got power crept out a little bit. Um, you know, by the time it got affordable, there were just better options. I mean, there—if you're playing like with charge counters and being able to to kind of synergize up with that a little bit, it has some upside. But like. I don't even think, even at like a dollar or two, I'm even putting Coalition Relic in any of my decks.
0: Well, and to go back to Darksteel Ingot for a second, it's literally been power crept out by Skyclave Relic, which is also indestructible and has the option to kick it and make two additional tap copies. So it's a just a strictly better Darksteel Ingot for the most part.
2: Which, like, Let's not overlook the fact that you can make two tokens with that. That is actually kind of huge to token matters commanders. Like, the new Adrix and Nev, I don't know if they have room for it, but, like, technically you would get additional tokens from that, or cloud is also able to take advantage of just the extra token production like that. Like, again, there's so much hidden synergy happening in these three mana rocks. Matt, you mentioned the mana geode earlier, which taps for any color, and it just, it scrys one and when it enters. That probably seems like, ah, you know, whatever. I built an elegath deck. When he, when I scry, he draws me cards. Like, I love that
1: thing oh you you hush about that deck i'm so over that thing so hard uh it's 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 great like there there's all just we we've been talking for what 10 minutes just about three mana mana rocks, but like <laughs> we haven't even gotten to a whole slew of them. Like if you need something that can become a creature when you don't need the mana, like you have Cultivator's Caravan. Um, you have Altar of the Pantheon if you're playing Devotion Matters decks. Like there are so many options in this three mana slot that like we could literally spend an entire episode just kind of breaking down like why you might want to consider playing these because a lot of like it's not that all of these aren't unplayable, they're just like they're so specific and there's so many other options
0: manascape refractor in the right deck where where you're going to you know okay worst case it's just a mana rock but like there's times when it's your kavalk offers or your sarah sanctum or your guy's cradle or something i mean it, it, again it's the kind of mana rock where yes it costs one more than star compass but in the right deck in the right situation it ends the game because you're going to make a mana of an amount that no one else can keep up with
2: Manescape refractor only shows up in 2100 decks what's happening here y'all this is an extra cabal coffers or i mean okay that's a really expensive land but this is an extra awesome land like this thing's really good oh play play mana refractor please even if there's a bounce land on the field this can tap for two mana this thing's amazing put it in more than just 2100 decks
1: well, and, and we talked about proliferate shenanigans with ever-flowing chalice but replication ring um, i'm waiting for people to finally realize that's a card like call time was an extremely packed set but um, replication ring is an artifact for three that taps for one man of any color so it's great right there uh, but at the beginning i keep you put a knight counter on it and then if it has eight or more knight counters on it you remove them and then you create eight snow artifact creature token or artifact tokens called replication ring so you have Nine replication rings on the battlefield. If you proliferate that, like, that's insane. Like, the manolith is still played, and you have all <laughs> of these better cards. Like, you have a replication, you have a manolith that makes eight other manoliths. But people still play manolith.
2: That seems especially good for Bruticlad to be able to just
0: walk into a board full of eight more
2: doubles.
1: That sounds brutal, clad not just brutal. <laughs> that Bruticlad.
0: sounds amazing. Well, we talked about how good Strixhaven Stadium is when we reviewed modern or reviewed the Strixhaven set. I think we did. Maybe we didn't. I, I'm pretty
2: sure that we did. And Dana, it's funny that you brought that up because
0: um, that is the one that I wanted to bring up next because I really like Strixhaven Stadium too. Well, I, 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 I'm mentioning that because um, I, I played some games over this weekend and. In the same game, um, first I got killed by someone with Strixhaven Stadium, and then someone else copied that player Strixhaven Stadium and killed the person who killed me. That's incredible. So in one game, we saw two deaths from a Strixhaven Stadium.
2: That's 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 amazing. I, I'm eagerly awaiting my ability to finally beat someone with the just the, this thing. It's just a three mana, it taps for a color. Like, it's just a mana rock in my mana base that it also secretly can be an extra win condition. Like... That is just so much extra power that you can put into into like this stuff. And, and so, like, with those two, like, there are also a, a class of other um of other three mana rocks that we probably need to address here as well that also feel like maybe they've been outclassed just because of the sheer power that we're talking about here. These feel like especially budget uh inclusions for me. The key runes, the lockets, and the clue stones, um, all you know, Ravnica-based things there, those feel like. Maybe we've moved past those as well. Like, they tap for just two colors. They don't provide you with a whole bunch of extra benefit. I don't know. Sometimes they do because they can maybe draw you cards, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's just me personally. But I feel like compared to the power of some of the other three mana rocks that we've been able to discuss here and how few like slots there are in the deck to actually play all of those three mana rocks i feel like some of those stuff like the lockets of the key runes, just don't really get to make the cut compared to the power that some of these other ones can offer instead
1: yeah I, I i've found myself putting lockets in there just as placeholders which i mean they're fine for that or if you're on an extreme budget like they're fine placeholders but like they're also very easy to upgrade as well so i'm they're they're fine, but I'm I'm never gonna like be excited about like keeping them in decks long term.
2: All right, so then, fellas, that means that what we're at now is the four plus mana mana rock section here. We've talked about the zeros, the ones, the twos, and the threes, and there are just a couple of other mana rocks that cost more than four <laughs> four, four or more mana. And already, like folks can probably hear that I'm a little bit hesitant bringing these up because like. Like, yeah, they can be really, really good in the right space. But ramps starting at four mana as a subject is already a little bit iffy, I guess. So, Matt, tell us about some mana rocks here in this category and how you feel about
1: them. I mean, I'm not particularly keen on all of these, at least, you know, relying on them to, like, help get me ahead. Once you hit, like, this four and five mana slot, um, the game's already pretty developed and you want to start be you know, doing a little more action than just continuing to establish, like not to say there aren't decks and there aren't moments where you could be, but I think there's just, there's so much going on. We kind of with where the format has gotten that, I mean, playing a gilded Lotus on turn four or five, like it's not the powerhouse it used to be. Um, You know, Gilded Lotus is a five mana artifact that just adds three mana of any one color. Like That used to be an extremely powerful card, but kind of like what we said with uh, Chromatic Lantern, I think the format has caught up to what Gilded Lotus used to do.
0: Yeah, I tend to agree. I I do think there's still a little bit of a place for these. Um, I do have one deck that's running Thran Dynamo still, which I actually kind of like more than Gilded Lotus. Generally speaking, if I'm running a rock like that, it's because my commander either has to get recast a lot or has just a large chunk of colorless mana in the cost anyway, and I would rather spend four mana and use it for three colorless than spend five and get three of one color, um... So I, I do have a deck that runs Thran Dynamo. Um, Pirate Master's Goggles is a mana rock that when you use the mana, you can copy an instant or sorcery spell that you cast with that mana. Um, I have one deck that runs it. I, I think it's a, a card worth running in the right deck as well. But I think things really get narrow narrowed into this four-plus mana slot. I think your deck has to specifically have some kind of a call for these, and you really don't want more than maybe one in your deck, too.
2: So another mana rock here that does, I feel, I can make a bit more of a justification for occasionally is Hedron Archive, which taps for two colorless mana, but also can crack to uh, sacrifice to draw two cards later on and that does feel pretty nice especially if you do have any recursion engines like we've seen artifacts are able to do so much nowadays and there are also like i do have the occasional deck that has a pretty substantially high average mana cost as well i think of my Thalise deck where a lot of my powerhouses tend to be five mana i have a yannette deck as well where like if i've got a gilded lotus in the deck i can probably cheat that right into play with her ability it sort of fits the odd theme going on there and there are certainly reasons that and a hedron archive would be really really appealing if there's a particularly aggressive deck that also wants to make sure that it can hit a six or a seven drop, but then, you know, wants to cash out in case it runs out of steam, you know, just in case. So there, I feel like there are some excuses for each of these, but also once we hit the four mana plus spot, that's where like, I want the big heavy hitting spells in general to kind of happen. I, I don't know. Like, it's hard to justify when four mana is also where stuff like Smothering Tithe usually occurs, you know?
1: Yeah, it's. It, it, like like we kind of mentioned a little bit, but you know, this is where you're getting away from developing your board and you're, you're starting to get a little more proactive. But like you guys both play Cage Sun and, and Gauntlet of Power. Like those are also cards that they make huge impacts on the board beyond just making mana. Um, granted, you know, if you're playing in one and, and like maybe really heavy, you know, to one color, two color decks, um, those cards just will flat out make your armies enormous and win games.
0: Yeah, the amount of power those give you in terms of like being able to use resources and and do way more than anyone else can in one turn is is really, really strong. But you have to be in a really particular deck, probably a monocolor deck to take advantage of those. But if your deck can, I tend to think they're worth a slot.
2: Yeah, honestly, the, the Cage Sun example almost feels like it's a completely different class of card. I mean, for one thing, I'm not going to play it outside of usually a mono deck, but it also, like, it doubling your mana output feels almost like a substantially different type of conversation than a mana rock, even though technically it is. But it is kind of the difference between, you know, the Farseek versus the Sendakar Resurgent Enchantment that doubles up your mana. Like, we're dealing with leaps and bounds of mana acceleration at that point that does, I think, you know, it dramatically affects things enough to really make sense at the six mana versus something like at the four mana or whatever. Like, that can be a little bit harder of a sell. And and frankly, it's actually occurring to me that in the three mana section, I'm not even sure if we touched on Warren Power Stone, which is a three mana rock that enters tapped and taps for two. Like, I don't know, that and the Thrain Dynamo also kind of feel like they maybe have a, a kinship to them where... If my deck's got a really high CMC, I'll definitely consider these. But I also am probably going to drift away from them over time as the other mana rocks are kind of offering something more than just the ability to play the cards in my hand. Because as we've seen, so many of these mana rocks can also provide game-altering effects, game-winning effects, mana-doubling effects once it starts getting into these upper echelons.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about the, the doublers that you mentioned, like the Cage Sun kind of things too, um, is you hate to give up your whole turn casting a thing, but you can very often get to that point with, you know, say a cage sun or something, where yes, I could tap my lands for 12 mana right now, or I could play a cage sun and still tap them for 12 mana because the lands that I didn't use for this, or if I use some mana rocks or something, I, I I can now tap those lands for more mana than I began the turn with, let alone what you're gonna get next turn of the turn thereafter. Um, so, yeah, in, in those specific decks, those can oftentimes overcome the handicap of how much they cost by immediately producing more than you spent to cast them just on that very first turn.
2: Yeah, Dana, that's actually a pretty similar trick to what I'll do with a Crypt Gast or a Nirvana Revenant in a mono black deck, for example, where it's just like, I can play these on, you know, the turn that corresponds to their mana cost, and play this on turn four or turn six or whatever, but I can also sandbag a little bit and potentially get benefit right away from them if I wait a little bit more until I get an immediate benefit from the stuff I've got extra swamps that I didn't use to cast this and I can get a whole bunch more benefit. But even talking about them, even mentioning the Crypt Gast and the Nirvana Revenant, like, That's where, once you get into the conversation of four-plus mana rocks, there's so much happening at that mana spot already that it becomes a lot harder to justify. So it really does feel like to me when it comes to the situation of mana rocks that you've got so many that start at the two, a handful that you can choose for really epic customization at three, and then if you're playing a four-mana rock, you'd better have a really, really good reason for it. And there are really good reasons for some of these, for sure, but they stop being there like the weirdest thing about mana rocks is that they're not just about producing mana.
1: Yeah, and you get, you get into kind of a Swiss Army knife kind of like the Immortal Sun, even in this you know this realm too. Um, Chromatic Orrery is is seven mana, uh, makes five mana, but it has an immense mana fixing ability. Um, then you can just draw a bunch of cards as well. Like a lot of these cards, like there's huge huge upside to playing these if you're you're paying you know six mana over three mana, like, yes, the mana investment um, is significantly greater, but also, like, the upside is incredibly greater.
0: Well, and you have, you know, things that it's not truly a mana rock necessarily, but I guess cage Sun isn't either. Things like Forsaken Monument, the five mana slot, or whenever you tap a permanent for colorless mana, you add an additional colorless. Like, well, you know, so many of those mana rocks are tapping for colorless or just tapping more. And that's in addition to the fact that it gains you life and it buffs colorless creatures. Um, you know, am I going to just slap that into a deck? No. But in the right deck, that's going to be a pretty huge mana producer. even know if it's not a mana rock itself, It's going to be akin to one of those mana doublers in the right deck in addition to buffing your creatures and doing other things,
2: yeah. that that right there, Dana, that is the most fascinating thing, I think, to me, about looking over all of these mana rocks because I think, when deck building, it is kind of one of those categories that we just sort of take for granted. Or since so many of the talismans, especially in the signets, especially, have taken up our minds as like, these are the staples. Like, if you're playing three colors, you play these three, you play those, you play the arcane signet. Like, mana rocks kind of occupy a, a space in our brains while deck building that's just of like, oh, you know, it's there and they're the staples and we almost kind of get a little bored of them. But once you move past them just a little bit, you do find so much extra potential that the conversation pretty quickly over the course of this episode we saw when we were talking about these other, all of these other mana rocks, it becomes a, this is an in the right deck type of situation. And that's what your mana rocks can allow you to do. like. It's just amazing the extra synergies that you can find with these, whether you're playing a Heraldic Banner to give all of your tokens extra stuff, or if you're in a Dragon deck and you want to use a Dragon's Horde, which can draw you extra cards. Like, there's so much extra synergy to be had from these Mana Rocks that I'm kind of blown away by how much they're actually able to offer beyond just the staple, oh, these fix my mana type of situation. There's just so much going on in this sphere of EDH.
0: Yeah, I mean for me, when I go to brew a two-color deck, the first half of the Mana Rock game is super boring. I'm putting in the Soul Ring. I know I want a Signet, a Talisman, whatever. But like you said, then then things get different. Once I get those first, you know, five or six or seven Mana Rocks that I tend to like in any deck in the deck... I, I still want to run, you know, two or three or four more from that point on. I like to have 10 ramp sources. And that's when you can start tweaking things. Like you mentioned, is this deck going to care about Erotic Banner? Well, it is. So That's is. I'm going to run that. And and you can really then start to look at your deck and figure out what things work really well for you. Um, so, yeah, that is that is nice that there are things that are very efficient and work well. But there still is also room for you to make the, those last few rocks kind of your own as part of your deck.
1: Well, and yeah, not just part of your deck, but your strategy. Um, we we kind of drilled home, like, no matter what you're doing, no matter what the deck is, like, you have something that's going to make mana, that's going to help develop your board state, but also there's, there's going to be extra benefits tied into... I mean, almost whatever strategy you're trying to do, um, whether you're doing tokens or you're doing proliferate effects or anything like that. Like there's just, there's a lot of upside there. And, you know, if you have a lot of Magecraft abilities, Pyromancer's Goggles is probably super fantastically awesome and you should probably find a spot for it. But like, it's just so cool that, you know, I really like a point that Gavin Verhey made when he came on the stream at twitch.tv slash ehretcast. haven't plugged that yet, but um, he said they really like that there's a lot of space to explore with mana rocks. Like, yes, they they push a little too much with Arcane Signet, um, but finding that there was space to explore at three plus mana um, with a lot of these different types of cards. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what they come up with in the future because we've seen a lot of really cool design. Um, so seeing that's gonna become a point of emphasis in the near future, uh, that does kind of get me excited to see what exactly they had in mind.
2: Yeah, I, I'm totally on board. If Cursed Mirror and Strixhaven Stadium are, are like- like the kinds of mana rocks that we're getting nowadays three mana mana rocks are exciting me more and more and more and i'm excited to make more room for them in those decks because there's so much extra so gavin if you're listening as you as you said matt we're all really really excited
1: baited breath so excited <laughs> Bated breath.
2: all right well with that fellas i think what we need to do is probably call this episode to a uh, close because i guess we can't uh mana rock and roll all night <laughs>
1: but we can <laughs> sleep all day. That is something that we can do.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Take your nap, Matt. Anyway, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt?
1: Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming games. Twitch.tv slash EDH We have awesome guests every single week, so you make sure you tune in for all the fun.
0: And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I am writing articles for Commanders Herald and EDH Rec. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash
2: and I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on both Facebook and Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at RecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the whole team at the command zone who handle all of the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors. Once again, they are TCG Player and Cardkingdom.com and Altersleeves.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHRec or by visiting cardkingdom.com/slash Rec to show your support for the show. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck.